right. Uh, hopefully you got an outline. They are back there in the back. Um, if, you, uh, if you need one, you can follow along today. We don't have quite as much material as last week, okay? Um, so we're good. You're not going to be here for 50 minutes. But uh, let, as we get started, let me pray for us, and we'll begin. Father, we're grateful for our community and our church and all your promises to us, especially those uh, to us in our marriages. God, where we're weak, we ask that you would be at work and that you direct us and guide us, and especially today as we talk about uh, conflict and fighting well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I just want to read briefly from Ephesians 4. I'm going to begin reading verses 25 through 27, and then skip down to verse 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. All right, you did a little better this week. Thankfully, you do better on the... On the when we get to the service, but um, those verses are just going to sum up a lot of things that we're going to talk about. Um, when we talk about conflict from the Bible, there are many places that we can go. Scripture verses spread all throughout, and so we're going to be hopping around today. Um, but uh, these are kind of classics, and particularly the admonition not to let the sun go down on your anger. We'll give that a little bit of context. I know more spouses worn out by a, uh, a belligerent spouse on that verse. You can't go to sleep till we solve this. And, uh, and it only makes it worse. Um, so um, we will get there, all right? Um, but we're going to be fairly practical today just talking about how to fight well, okay? Um, important book, one that I'm using in particular for today is one written by a guy named John Gottman. Uh, Gottman is a Christian. He works in a secular space. Uh, he works at the University of Washington in Seattle. But he's had a unique opportunity in which he's been able to research uh, marriages kind of all across the spectrum of the United States. He does heavily uh, clinical research-based work. Um, and he's done so for nearly three, almost four decades now. So his stuff is very interesting to me because it's just so solidly based in fact and, and principle and things that he's observed. He has a pretty uh, a book now that's kind of getting a little bit dated, but it's called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Um, and it is just kind of following what he has observed about uh, human beings and their marriages. So he explains this in that book, that the help of a marriage is not based upon whether a couple fights or not. Okay, it's based on how they fight, all right? This is the thing that I have the hardest time convincing young couples of when they come for premarital counseling. I'll ask, well, you know, have you had any conflicts? And they look at each other and they're like, no, we, we just get along. And uh, I'd say, A, I know you're lying. B, uh, it won't remain that way if you are telling the truth. Um, that, that's not the measure of success. That just means you're avoiding it if you're actually not fighting, if you're not having some tension. And that the key to this is not that there's not conflict and it's not that there's not tension, but that rather there is the way of working through those things in a healthy way and the way even when it doesn't go healthy, because let's be honest, it doesn't, but can we get to a healthy resolution, okay? Um, so that's where we're going today is to talk about that healthy re resolution. 
So marriages that fail to navigate conflict well, they inevitably will end up in kind of three places, all right? They'll engage in passive avoidance or destructive arguments, all right? When we fail to engage well, it either goes to passive avoidance, we're going to talk about some of the fruits of that, or it goes to kind of destructive arguments. Two, you'll cultivate destructive ways of thinking about one another, and this is what goes on inside of marriages so often is we get a narrative about our spouse and we begin to fill in blanks about them and we kind of enter into kind of a character assassination of them. And three, um, this uh, feeding of the conflict leads to a downward spiral of reactions, okay? This is where you've decided how your spouse is going to respond by the facial expression you see forming. Okay, and, uh, and you are already so displeased with them because you can also predict what they're going to say. You get to know them pretty well. And, uh, and so there just becomes this downward spiral in which past uh, transgressions and errors and attitudes just get projected into the future and it just can feel fairly hopeless. Okay, and so what this requires is a whole lot of work. It requires a whole lot of self-awareness. It requires a good deal of just biblical orientation to how can we do this well, okay? So that's where we're going. So I'm going to ask the question, what are some guiding principles for healthy conflict today? All right, what are guiding principles? First, be aware of your personal conflict style. Now, your style of doing conflict is informed by two things, all right? First, it's informed by your family of origin. That is the conflict style that you watched out, play, played out in front of you. Now, you may either be a person who participates in that direct style, or you're just a person who has responded to it and perhaps gone the other way, all right? But your family of origin and the way conflict played out there will directly shape the way you respond to it. And so it's worth, if you've never had that conversation, hopefully you have, uh, it's worth asking that question, how did, my, how did my family contribute to the way that I do conflict? All right, and to talk, uh, to talk about that, to ask your spouse, what do you know about the way my family does this? Um, those are important conversations. Now, the second thing that influences the way that you do conflict is your temperament. Um, and this is just the way that you're wired, okay? I don't get lost in the whole Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, whatever, what are the other ones? I don't even know. Um, they're all helpful, okay? And one of the things that they point to is that we're all very different, okay? And that uh, our, in, our, in our temperaments and personalities and the way God has put us together, um, we do then engage in conflict in different ways. And that's important to understand. Uh, when Melissa and I were trying to work out how we were going to do conflict together, you know, I tend to be the one who's more aggressive. I want to address it. Okay, and I can get pretty self-righteous about that virtue. You know, well, the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. We need to get to this. She was like, well, I, you know, I don't want to talk about it right now. Well, you're not being biblical. You can imagine how well these, the, <laughs> these conversations went. Uh, I said, well, I am. I'm trying not to get angry with you, you know. Um, and, you know, that it can all get... Um, uh, just it can end in kind of this this dead end in this this ghetto when we don't recognize the way that our temperament plays into this that my wife was more of a processor she wanted to be able to think about it I wanted to more get to it I wanted to address it 
And, uh, and so it took some time of just being aware that neither one of those was necessarily more virtuous than the other, okay? Both of us just had to come to some agreements about how we were going to work this out in our personalities. But conflict style, personality, family of origin, all incredibly important. And despite everything I've said, there's really only two styles of conflict, okay? It's the tortoise and the porcupine. Uh, these are basically the options. You have people who are avoidant and people who like to poke, okay? Um, and uh, so just, uh, just know that that's what goes on with us. Second, uh, be willing to engage in self-examination. Now, this is just what Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, okay? Verse 5, he says, why do you want to pull out the speck in your brother's eye when you're not willing to look at yourself and pull out the log out of your own? Um, that very simple principle is one that often couples just kind of fly right over as they enter into a conflict, all right? And that's because conflicts often ha times happen uh, on the spur of a moment, okay? Something occasions it, and then it's just we're off to the races. But when we really think about what the Bible has to say about engaging with someone, and perhaps even the way that we would engage in a conversation with someone who was not our spouse. You know, if we had a friend and we had a conflict with them, I can guarantee you, you're going to be very thoughtful about the way that you approach that person. In fact, it's going to take several days. You're probably going to have prayed about it, and then you're going to set up a lunch or perhaps a, a breakfast or something. You're going to sit down and have a constructive conversation. And you can be very gracious and kind. And it's funny sometimes how much effort we put into doing that with someone else, whether it be a family member or a coworker or uh, perhaps someone at church, you know, that we will put all kinds of effort into making that a peaceful situation. And we'll consider our contribution to it. But oftentimes when it comes to our spouse, do we do that same hard work? Not all the time, okay? And so we need to, uh, to begin that process very intentionally. When there is something really important at stake that we want to address, we know that there's a tension, there's a conflict brewing, and where that's going to begin is with good old self-examination, okay? That is to ask yourself hard questions, okay? What have I contributed to this? What am I bringing to the table? Am I doing something that's exacerbating the situation? Um, because one of the things that's important for us to do away with is that we do have to do away with this notion that the problem in my marriage belongs to my spouse, okay? We have to go ahead and knock that one out, all right? It takes two to tango. You're both bound up in this thing, and it can get incredibly complicated and sometimes hard to untie, but it really helps when we introduce this idea of self-examination early in the process. So uh, a spouse who adopts this idea that the problem here is my spouse, all right? That they're the one really responsible for this. What ends up happening is just critique and critique and critique, okay? And it begins, um, there begins to be a defensiveness and one person is impervious to feedback and one person is just always in the wrong. And this is where humility is pretty critical to the health of a marriage, all right? And the gospel teaches us that. God encourages that in our character, in our lives, and that's what self-awareness in the biblical terms is really about, okay? It's being aware of what we contribute and bring to the conversation. Um, 
and really, I think one of the most helpful terms that I was ever introduced to, uh, it was one of those moments where I felt like I began to actually make a little bit of headway. I'm not going to ask you how much headway I've made, uh, so don't comment. Um, but where I really began to feel like I made a little bit of headway with, um, with, with how I was interacting with Melissa and other people was uh, someone said, well, Chuck, you have to consider your wake. And I think you all know what a wake is. We live near the coast, but it's just that thing behind a boat. Okay, the boat passes through the water and it leaves a wake. And so what they were encouraging me to think about, they said, Chuck, you need to consider your personal wake. So it's not just exactly what you did or what you said. It's also the impression you leave behind. When you have left the room, how does someone receive you? Okay, and this was helpful for me. Because where I had gotten stuck was, well, that wasn't my intent, and this, is what, what, this isn't what I was trying to do. And I could defend myself to Melissa all day on those two fronts. You know, she, she used to tell me regularly, uh, you missed your true calling to be a lawyer, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but that, that was how I liked to prosecute the conversation. It's not what I intended, and it's not what I was doing. But yet, it was still how my wife was feeling, and I wasn't curious enough about that. And I was also having these other experiences where I was kind of hearing the same feedback. And I was still defending myself. But that's not what I intended. And it's not what I was doing. Yeah, but it's how we're receiving you. Okay? And it was until I took that invitation to think a little bit more about that and, and uh, have some ownership over that idea of my personal wake, what was I leaving behind. Uh, it wasn't until that self-examination started that I began to make a little bit of, uh, of progress there. So, um, yeah, just know that defensiveness and pride, that doesn't, that doesn't bring you into trafficking with the grace of God, all right? And it's really hard to ask God to bless your marriage when you're not just taking up those simple steps of obedience, of being willing to examine yourself, to be humble, and to not be defensive, all right? So be willing to examine. Third, Offer specific feedback. We're going to have more to say about this this morning in a moment. Um, but when it comes to good, healthy conflict, one of the things that you need to be able to do is to say, you know, it's helpful when you do this and avoid this. Or I'm grieved because you did this. Okay? What's not helpful is when we say things like this. You always... You never, okay? And when we get more global, all right? Uh, I'm going to draw a distinction between what we'll call criticism and critique. Critique is fair game. And guys, with your spouse, you need green lights, okay? Green lights all the time to give critique and feedback. It's really helpful. They know you better than anybody, okay? And that critique needs to be launched in really good ways. The problem is because you know uh, each other better than anybody, it oftentimes turns into criticism, where you get these globalizing comments that just assassinate somebody's character, okay? So let's say the trash, let's go back to the trash. I'm using trivial examples, okay? Um, because they're also real. The trash needs to be taken out. It's one of, one of the spouse's duties to take out the trash. It hasn't been taken out. And let's say that this even happens a couple of times a week, because the trash fills up really fast in the home, doesn't it? It's like inside of 30 minutes in our house, you know, uh, the trash can's full. Um, but 
you know, so the critique or, yeah, the criticism can be, you never take out the trash, you are so lazy. Does that leave the person whose responsibility it is? Does it, re does it really put them in a good place to respond? No, because it's not exactly true. They have taken it out, okay? But they've just been undercut. When the real concern is something else, it's just to say, hey, I wish that you would be more diligent in taking this out. Two very different conversations, okay? One sets up the person to be able to respond and to apologize and to do better. One just undercuts them and, uh, and lands a lot of critique and shame uh, on them. And guys, we need to be thinking about that um, when it comes to the big league stuff, okay? Not just things like the trash and the toothpaste, but the bigger league stuff. You need to be specific and offer what it is. Take the time to think about what it is, where your real grievance is. Uh, so many times for people when they are fighting, uh, is they're fighting about everything else, okay, than the real issue, all right? And so when you take the time uh, to think about engaging in conflict with your wife or your husband, um, and if you do that self-examination and then you think about also what is it exactly that I need to say, when you do all that homework before, this gets you a long ways down the road, okay? And guys, this is kind of what we were talking about last week, um, where husbands and wives just being intentional in their marriage. This is one of those areas where you can just take responsibility and be intentional, right? And so just own that and say, yeah, I'm going to be that intentional to think through conflict well and how I would like that to go uh, with my spouse. So offer specific feedback. Number four, uh, be willing to listen. This is just James 1.19. It's a memory verse I committed to memory a long time ago, and it's probably one of the most frequent ones I have to think about. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Okay? Um, it's really critical when our spouse is addressing us on something to resist the temptation to start responding. Okay? And especially when they're doing this in a constructive way. Okay? That we want to be quick to hear. All right, we want to be quick to listen to what they have to say. Um, and, uh, you know, and if we feel like it's not being done in a constructive way, perhaps the best thing to do is, hey, let's return to this conversation later. Okay, I want to listen to what you have to say. I'm just not in the best frame of mind to do so right now. But can we have this conversation later? Uh, important to be able to do that. But let's just say it's all going well. We need to really be uh, able to listen. And the gospel tells us enough about ourselves, about our sinfulness, right? That we need to be curious, all right? When someone is bringing a concern, uh, generally, uh, even when they miss it um, broadly, there is something generally for you there, okay? Uh, that's true for every one of us, okay? That we've got enough sin in the game, we've got enough faults and failures in our character um, that we need to be willing to listen, and especially when it's our spouse, Okay, because the orientation you want in your home towards conflict is not one that's built around shame, okay? That the reason conflict needs to happen in the home, it's for each of you's good, okay? It's to build one another up. And this is where conflict so often gets uh, wrong. It gets off to a wrong start, okay? because conflict comes more about kind of punishing and shaming the other person rather than trying to correct and to build up and to improve them, all right? 
I think it was around year 14 where uh, I told you that there was a big moment around year seven, you know, where there was kind of a breakthrough. And then we went through another seven year stretch and around year 14, there was a big breakthrough. And that break, breakthrough, I'm kind of embarrassed to say how simple it was, but Melissa and I were going round and around, you know, over kind of months about these same issues and it felt like we weren't making progress at all. And then finally, one of us just said very clearly, hey, I want you to know that I'm for you. I was like, oh, that kind of changes this because it had felt like we were competing with one another. You know, <laughs> who could disprove one another? Who could make the other person uh, look possibly worse? You know, you've got more skin in the game on this issue, so you're the one really responsible for it. If you weren't doing that, then we'd be in a better place. Um, and, uh, and so what happened was just through that conversation, hey, when these things are shared and when these critiques are launched, they're not coming at you like a hostile ballistic missile, okay? That is coming from a place of commitment, that I'm so committed to you that I'm sharing these things with you because I want you to be better. I want your character to shine. I want you to be the best version of Chuck or Melissa that you can be, okay? And guys, we need to have that orientation uh, and we need to be willing to listen, trusting and believing that that's where our spouse is coming from, okay? And so think long and hard about that too. Uh, you can take time to do so this afternoon. Where am I coming from when I do sit down and have a conflict with my spouse, all right? Um, so be curious. Um, and, uh, and just know that you have to be on guard. We're gonna say more about this in a moment as well, about defensiveness. Uh, defensive types, that, is, um, that can be related to temperament, but we all have a good bit of defensive measures in us. None of us really like to be called out. Um, but uh, oftentimes when we enter into defensiveness, we're just trying to hide, okay? And we're avoiding exposure. So we just want to get the light off of us and get it back on the other person, okay? And that's not a gospel reflex, okay? Uh, the gospel does teach you that, uh, that you've got sin and that you can go into that sin and you can even acknowledge that sin. Why? Because God's been gracious with you. So what are you scared of, okay? To, <laughs> to learn a little bit more about my debts, it's like, yeah, well, they're so big at this point, what does it matter? You know, it's not a whole lot, uh, not a whole lot to defend here. So just be willing to listen, be willing to go there. Number five, uh, apologize for your faults and your failures. I know this almost sounds simple, uh, too simple, um, but you'd be amazed at how many spouses are grieved at one another just because the process never really concludes, okay? That is that when there is really conflict and tension, that they never really get to the place where there is this transaction of I need your forgiveness, will you forgive me for this? And then the other spouse says, yes, I forgive you, thank you. And then they move on. But oftentimes where people kind of drop off is just in some, type, some kind of quiet hostility where it's never really clear that the person really absorbed the critique. There is no clear apology and there also is no clear forgiveness and then there's kind of ongoing resentment, okay? And those cycles just will then feed one another over and over and over. So we need to acknowledge that we're sinful people, not just in the abstract, 
okay? Most Christians I know, they really like Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We'll own up to that, but what we struggle to own up is where we sin specifically, okay? When it, when, when it becomes more concrete. No, you did this, okay? That's where we don't like it as much. But allow that great gospel truth of you've all sinned, and sin permeates everything that you are and everything that you do. Allow it to descend into the concrete and, uh, and be willing to apologize. Um, and, uh, you know, when you get good at that and when you can own what it is that you've done, um, that helps you as an individual know, hey, God, I need your help in changing this. It also helps you with your spouse to clear that kind of resentment thing that can grow up uh, over time. And uh, it allows you to clear those decks. So we won't apologize um, for our faults and failures. Number six, choose the battleground. Um, I used to really love military war history. I'm not sure where that started, but as a kid, I grew up next to the Battle of Guilford Courthouse in Greensboro, North Carolina. And so uh, my young days of playing were filled with redcoats and colonials and, you know, running around the backyard uh, shooting the bad guys who were always the British. Um, but one of the things that I learned in reading over the years was just how carefully uh, generals chose where they were going to fight, okay? That that was choreographed and rehearsed. It was thought about for months, okay? Where exactly the fight was going to take place. And at the Battle of Guilford Courthouse, what's so fascinating is uh, that the uh, American colonial army actually retreated, okay? That technically it was a loss. They were driven from the battlefield, but it was actually a planned retreat, okay? So the battlefield was chosen, the retreat was chosen, everything about that was choreographed. And then uh, Cornwallis later said, um, after the victory, he said, another such victory and we'll all be back in England, okay? Um, and, uh, but the battlefield had been so carefully chosen that even in victory, the British had lost. Um, and, uh, and so the principle for us here, when thinking about your marriage, is that you need to be very uh, intentional about where you're going to have the conflict, okay? And this is the thing that eats our lunch and hurts many marriages, is it, uh, conflicts kind of begin to simmer and then they boil over in the worst moments, okay? They boil over while the kids are there, they boil over when you're tired, they boil over right when someone's gotten home from work, perhaps, but it's not a time where anybody's really prepared to engage it, all right? And so what becomes really important is to be intentional to even schedule the conversation, okay? Hey, I would like to sit down and talk this evening. I need 15 minutes of your time, okay? Now, Melissa does that. I know something good is <laughs> not about to come up, you know? It's not, it's not gonna be my favorite conversation, but I can also tell you that that's much better than kind of a passive-aggressive comment, you know? Puts me in a much better place to be able to receive it, and I think that would work the same for any of you, okay? And so just choose the battleground, decide, hey, I want this to be constructive. I want my spouse to know that I'm for them, and that yes, I'm about to say something that perhaps may even be difficult, but when you give that kind of intention and care, it's gonna come across a whole lot better, all right? So choose that battleground, be constructive um, when we don't, neither one of you is going to be really prepared to do something that helps the marriage, all right? Finally, extend forgiveness. Um, 
Jesus talks to the disciples in Matthew 18 about um, how to address conflicts and how to address conflicts in the church. And then Peter asks his question. And he's kind of trying to show off. And he says, well, how many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, I don't say to you seven times. I say seven times 77, or there's a bunch of different translations of that. Uh, what's interesting is a lot of people get lost. Well, exactly what did he mean? You know, well, obviously, he's, Jesus is saying that your forgiveness is to have no end. But it's this little kind of oblique reference back to a strange poem in Genesis 4, where there's a man named Lamech, and Lamech was one of the sons of Cain, and Lamech was a man who celebrated his violence. And he says, Ada, Ada and Zila, those were his two, two of his wives, he says, uh, listen to me, my name is Lamech. And then he says, if, if Cain has been, been venged sevenfold, I have been venged 77-fold, okay? Or that phrase, seven times 77, all right? It's the same phrase. And the point is that Lamech celebrated his violence, okay? And what is Jesus saying about his people? They're going to be the opposite of Lamech. You know, we're going to be ruthlessly gracious, all right? And guys, we have to do the hard work of being ruthlessly gracious with our spouses. Because in your homes, those are going to be the site of the greatest joys and also the greatest sorrows and the greatest failures, okay? And you will know your spouse. You will know what makes them tick. You will know what pains them. You will know uh, what, um, where their weaknesses are in a way. And you will have to be ready to extend forgiveness, to allow grace to cover a multitude of sins, and that grace does have to be very ruthless. So keeping the scorecard and pulling it out, especially in the midst of a conflict, extremely unhelpful, okay? Especially if the spouse feels like they have tried to apologize for a certain wrong, even if they continue to struggle with that particular weakness, when we weaponize that weakness and use it against them, okay? We're not really dealing and trafficking in grace, all right? That we do really uh, want there to be forgiveness. So we want to support one another with forgiveness. I've told Melissa before, hey, I need you to forgive me. I need to experience that from you because right now I'm not sure God really forgives me. Even though I know all the theology behind it, but I feel like such a failure, you know, I need this tangible expression from you. And guys, that's the gift that you can be for one another, all right, is to give that tangible expression um, that embodies the grace of God for your spouse. And so extend forgiveness to one another. Those are seven things to start with, okay? We could do more, but just seven things to think about healthy conflict, okay? There's more principles that could be added to it. Um, but hopefully one of the main things that you're hearing there is just to be gracious and to be intentional, okay? to have a plan, okay, to be willing to listen, both of you, okay, and if it takes a couple of days to work it out, then take a couple of days. Last week, I laid out an exercise for you, um, and I heard from a lot of people this week, and they, they said, as I laid out that spiritual exercise, um, that they looked at each other and said, this is going to be really hard, <laughs> and it's going to take us a lot of time, and it's probably going to take longer than one week, and that's all true, okay, it's really hard. Um, but that's what it takes. It takes a lot of intentionality, a lot of work. Um, and, uh, and so please mind that, you know, and particularly for families with young kids in the home, just know that you're contributing uh, on that family of origin stuff. 
you know, about how they're going to view conflict and how they're going to engage it in the future. So know that this is incredibly important for what you do for them. All right, let's move on to the second question. What are some signs of unhealth? Uh, Gottman gives four of these. They're, in, they're very helpful. Uh, he calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, which is, uh, is, is perhaps not, not the most helpful. Um, but he says, look, when I have seen marriages that really struggle to recover, um, and what he means by that is not necessarily that they lead to divorce, but just that they lead to some kind of truce, negotiated truce that isn't healthy either, okay? Where the couple's really just functionally living parallel lives with one another, okay? That's not the goal either, all right? Uh, we want to live as one. And uh, he says, but these four things are kind of mixed together and become uh, kind of representative of the couple's communication. Now, you're going to recognize these four things, okay? And the goal of me pointing out these four things is not to put you on the brink to think, oh, we have an awful marriage. We'll never, uh, we're, we're never going to be any good. Um, but it is to alert you to the importance of these things and why we need to tend to them, okay? And then I'm going to add a fifth one, all right? So first, there is criticism. By criticism, I think I've already said this, I don't mean just feedback, but by criticism, um, what I mean is kind of that globalization, okay? You are, you never, you always, okay? Um, that that's, uh, we need to be more specific than that. We need to get to complaint and we need to talk about concrete things. It was not helpful when you said this to your son. It was not helpful, you know, for you to come in with a bad attitude after work. It was not helpful for you to, I didn't appreciate when you, okay? Just drill that language in and it will help you in the conflict. But um, one of the things that does take up kind of uh, place in a couple's life are you get these kind of global criticisms and you develop those narratives, both of you on your own side, and then you use those narratives against one another. Okay? And it just becomes a self-reinforcing cycle. Um, and every conflict tends to devolve back into those same issues. You don't have to nod your heads, okay? But that's normally how this goes, all right? You may be arguing, the argument may start over here, but where does it end? The same one you've been having for five years or 25 years or some of you for 50, okay? Uh, you can go back to, you, you end up back in this very same place, all right? So uh, pay attention to criticism um, and uh, rather let it be a very specific complaint, okay? Second, there is contempt. Now, contempt is simply expressing disgust and exasperation with your partner and it's doing so in one of two ways, with sarcasm or cynicism, okay? So rather than engaging constructively, you decide to just make a sly remark on the side, okay? Over time, that builds up and begins to uh, reflect an attitude of contempt where you're kind of expressing a hopelessness about the person and you're just condemning them. So be very careful about that sarcasm and cynicism um, that expresses contempt. It doesn't lead to any good. Third, there's defensiveness. Now, what defensiveness does, it just refuses a complaint, okay? A defensive person just simply uh, tends to deflect 
and to remove the focus upon themselves and to get it back on you. And what the defensive person doesn't normally recognize is that in being defensive, what they're really saying is you're the problem, not me. Okay? And it's at that point that we've got something very broken on our hands. All right? Because neither side is then going to be able to engage constructively. Uh, and uh, so uh, we don't want to engage because we feel like the other person is more responsible. So we defend ourselves. So we defend ourselves, and here's where it fails. Um, that defensiveness ultimately escalates the conflict. Okay? Because it is saying the problem is you, not me. And I'm not willing to look at myself. And guys, it is that kind of self-righteousness that, yeah, we can hear about in preaching and we know that we're not supposed to reproduce it. But yet, in almost any marital conflict uh, that goes on and, um, and requires, uh, requires help and, a sense of, uh, and outside assistance, um, defensiveness is normally a key player. That one person is not really willing to look at their contribution and they're really more interested when they can get to talking about their spouse, okay? And one of the things I'm always looking at is just how open is the person? You know, what's it like to be in their wake? And I'll normally even ask that question, have you thought what it is to be in your wake? You know, that you do have this kind of defensive feel, you know, and have you thought about what that does? So really pay attention uh, to that. Fourth, uh, there's stonewalling, okay? This is normally kind of at towards the end of the, of the cycle. It's one of the unhealthiest things that goes on, but this is just when a partner is exasperated and tunes out, okay? So the complexity is too great and the criticisms are too much. They don't know what to do with the other person, so they just shut down. Okay? They'll give some responses, shrug shoulders, say, sure, we can talk about that, but no, <laughs> no, no real intent to do so. No real forward movement, okay? And, uh, and stonewalling, when you kind of get to that place of shutdown, uh, is a sign that things are kind of hitting into rigor mortis, okay? Um, and you need, to, you need to pay particular attention to that one. Uh, fifth, this is the one I'm adding, uh, is there's pride. One of the reasons that um, I started doing premarital counsel, um, particularly when I was in Virginia, I was working with a lot of young couples and, um, and a lot of them were coming from very challenging family backgrounds and then they were pulling their lives together and it was really hard, okay, uh, on several occasions. And, uh, and so one of the things that was good about the premarital counseling was they were introduced to the idea of having a third party in their marriage early on. Okay? They got used to somebody calling them out in front of each other or instigating a conflict you know, and watching them and then saying, hey, what I was able to notice is this what you were doing and this is what you were doing. You know? um, it's not extremely comfortable. Nobody really likes it. Okay? Um, but having that third party there was normalized for many people. Now, the thing is, is that that's not normal for most of us. Okay? We don't like it. All right? We're not comfortable with it. And, uh, and this is where pride comes in because a lot of couples, well, let me, let me back up that statement. All of us can benefit from having a third party in, okay, at any time, all right? Um, it doesn't mean you have to do it all the time, 
but most people are just simply resistant to it because it feels like too much and they really don't want their stuff exposed like that, all right? But guys, having the third party speak into and address oftentimes reveals a new angle and brings a new light on things and sometimes allows you to get through just impasses that you've been stuck on. And yet people just don't wanna go there and so I just encourage you that more important than your pride and you kind of carefully uh, curating your appearance and how people think of you, more important than that is your spouse and your marriage. And so be willing to drop it and just say, no, we'll go have those conversations, okay? Um, there's lots of resources out there to help, all right? And you don't want pride to be the thing that causes all of that to suffer, where you don't go get the help and you just kind of end up stagnant, okay? And so, yeah, maybe it doesn't lead to divorce. Maybe you can keep up the appearances good and everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, they're just this wonderful couple. But the reality can be that you're just doing this parallel life thing where there's tons of contempt for one another, there's tons of criticism, there's tons of defensiveness, and you both move to just kind of stonewalling. And yeah, you're married, but it's just not what it should be, okay? And the goal here is for your marriages to be as healthy and life-giving as possible. It's this tremendous resource and opportunity for you, a gift that God gives, and you wanna be able to receive that gift, but it does take a lot of gospel work, okay? It takes a lot of intentionality. It takes the realism of understanding that the conflict is, is, uh, is a real part of, uh, of your married life and to take up that invitation to do conflict well so that you can grow, okay? That's how we want to be oriented to it. Uh, and so take those signs of unhealth and just ask yourself, do I see these things in me? And then after you get through last week's exercise, you can ask your spouse, do you experience these things from me, okay? Do you experience me being uh, more full of criticism or complaint? You know, how do you experience that? Do you think I, have, I communicate with contempt? Do you think I'm stonewalling you at any place? You know, take up that curiosity challenge, all right? I went over again. But uh, hopefully those give you some more helpful guides. We'll continue at this next week. Uh, we're starting to get to the close, but uh, let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for uh, your work in our lives, for the gospel that teaches us uh, how to do conflict and how to receive uh, complaint and critique. And God, we ask that you would bring that to life in our community and especially in our homes and our marriages. And so bless us in that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.